0: Hey everyone, welcome to Outside the Walls. My name is John White. I'm Casey McDonald.
1: I'm Steve Reeves.
0: And we are joined today by Carl McClarty. Carl is the preacher, head preacher at uh, the <laughs> Cloverdale Church of Christ. He has been there for the last 15 years and uh, Carl, we're excited to have you on the show today.
2: Well, thanks, John. This is uh, exciting to get to get together with y'all
0: and uh, be able
2: to look into the future, maybe reach back a little in the past. Steve and I go way back and... uh,
1: I go way back with everybody these days. Yeah,
0: so... uh, (laughs) I'm
1: at that age where, yeah, I go back with everyone, it seems like.
0: Well, Carl, we wanted to talk with you a little bit today about uh, small groups and how your small group system has been run at Cloverdale. You guys have seen a lot of success with that. It has.
2: We. When Larry Moran and I arrived at the same time, it was the summer of 2006, and we got to to, uh, Cloverdale and they said, we have been talking about and wanting to do small groups for a long time. We know that both of y'all did it in your previous congregations. And so we started to implement, and of course we had already had like seven years each under our belt and small groups morph and change they grow, they, they, uh, they mature, however you want to call it. There's, there's things that typical of kicking off a small group, and then five years down the road, it looks different. And uh, so for us, it was a little bit of a challenge to step back and try to remember, okay, when you start off small groups, you're trying to create a event that's off campus from the church building and the elders by, you know, I think in a, in a sense of wisdom, wonder how do we manage and make sure that we are properly shepherding what is taking place that it's going in a good direction and so respecting that um, we started off and it was looking very much like what you would do at the church building on sunday night and it needed to be material that was everybody doing the same thing everybody making sure to do uh, communion singing prayer um, all the, all the typical stuff that would happen Sunday night at a, at a building. And gradually, as you do that and you build trust in your small group leaders and the different groups that are, are developing, then um, the elders will feel more comfortable and begin to see some opportunities beyond that. And so our small groups now, um, back then, I can't remember if we had 12, 15, but we're up to about 22 now. And rather than being all the same thing, there's groups that are uh, going out and visiting elderly people who are maybe shut in and doing group with them, whatever that may look like, going and singing or something. Uh, Those that might um, gather for doing something special with some kids in the area, or one that might be doing prayer. Uh, But a lot of them, most of them still are a sort of textual or topical study-based type groups. So having done that uh, our numbers run about 250 to 350 through the year and we don't do them in the summer. And that's one thing that um, it's a preference of mine that you don't go year-round because people will get tired. Right. There's right. there's a great responsibility for the sure. the host and for the leader and sometimes that's the same person and it can become very tiring when you're hosting, you're running a vacuum cleaner on Sunday afternoon. You know, you're, uh, you're sometimes gathering food together. You're uh, trying to figure out how do, I, how do I set up context for the kids and for the adults? What's that gonna look like? So um, it can be very exhausting. And my experience is if you run through the summer, then people wear out by Christmas. But mm-hmm. if you give them the summer off, then they come back, and there's a lot of energy in the fall. Now, having said that, there are groups that are rebellious and will continue <laughs> to study their Bible all through the summer. And uh, I know, oh. <laughs> I know. Well, churches and you know, studying in, in a hidden place in a house uh-huh. under uh, oppression from the authorities. Me, <laughs> it sounds very Roman-esque. Uh, I was going it? to say, um,
1: kind of a biblical paradigm yeah, yeah. there. <laughs>
0: So, what uh, what were some of the initial difficulties when you guys started small groups? You kind of mentioned having to help shape the perspective of what is this yeah. ministry and what does it do. What what are maybe some other things that you guys encountered that you kind of had to work through as a church in that first what four or five years? Yeah,
2: trying to trying to figure out if um, if what was happening in the small groups was going to be consistent with the flow of the church's overall vision and what's you know going on at the building as well. Which initially we didn't call small group, but over time they finally acquiesced and said, okay, if you're going to call us a small group, we're a small group. But the the challenge is initially finding material that everybody feels comfortable with if you're having to all do the same thing and do some teaching and prepping for that. And uh, Dan Williams, who we know from Mm -hmm. here and um, through Preacher stuff, had some really good material and that worked well. And for two years, I think it was, we did some of that. One of the challenges, and this is true of any ministry you're doing, is childcare. You're talking about a, a group of adults that are trying to go beyond a lecture, go beyond one person talking, and everybody sitting there uh, and, and just watching. You're wanting to say, hey, here's a question. This is where things get sticky in our lives. What do you do with this? Well, you don't necessarily want to do that in front of your children so what do you do do you send them outside to play do you get one of the teens and and pay them babysitting to you know teach a class kids class or do you modify the material you're talking about so that the kids can be there and of course nowadays in the last five years or so that's intergenerational which is real hip right <laughs> it's uh it's 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 what's going on so uh I would say one of the biggest problems to 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 figure out how to to work is this balance between adults trying to bond on issues that are really honest Christian struggles, where the where life meets the text, and what are we going to do with our children that's meaningful.
3: So what have you seen work best? You mentioned a couple of different. Things that yeah. you can do. What would you? Or is that just up to each group? Yeah,
2: yeah. And and it, it, it um, there's been times where we've watched videos. Uh, if you the the biblical archaeology ones by Ray Vanderlyn. I don't know yes. if you've ever seen those. Uh-huh. But surprisingly, biblical archaeology and five year olds, when it's yep. done well, <laughs> they wa- They get it. You know. And uh, so we've watched those and conversed. And I warn the the kids before. I say, I want you to tell me something interesting, funny, yeah. whatever that you saw. Uh, so I like it best when it is that perfect intergenerational expressing and talking faith with all ages. But there are those times when um, you have somebody that says, let me take the kids outside and play. And that could be intergenerational, too. You know, if you've got a good Christian teenager or teenagers and they're looking after young kids, they're the, the cool Christian that's older, and I'm sure there's good things that are going on for them. They're not just being, you know, killing time. And then inside, when you're able to... Whoever's teaching to stop doing the lecture thing and say, here's, here's a question. Here's the issue. We've, we've read the, some verses on this. What's going on? And let the silence kind of hang out there a little bit. And then when people begin talking and and getting to where they're, they're entering each other's lives in a very, very uh, significant way, that's the best small group, I think.
1: I think you make a very good point with what you just said about entering each other's lives in a very significant way. When I think about the rationale for having... A small group ministry in a church I'm I'm reminded of the fact that in a congregation the size of Cloverdale or the size of Westside um, it can be very intimidating being part of a large congregation where it can be if you are new if you're a newcomer or well even if you've been there for many years and haven't really gotten involved it can be quite intimidating to be a part of such a crowd, and a lot of people shy away from that. And so I'd like to kind of go into the idea of the why. Uh, what needs do small groups fill within a local church? What, what have you found to be the benefit of small groups, both individually and corporately? Yeah. Um, let me
2: back up kind of, you're making so many things come to mind with with what you're talking about. Something that, in my understanding of small groups, I feel like it's, it's um, the most natural thing that a church does. And when I say that, I mean, ministry, if you look back to small country churches, a lot of times all they had to have was a guy come in, do a sermon, maybe a class, and then they, they were church, they knew each other. They, they lived close by, they went to school together, the, the farm together, whatever. And, and there was a lot of knowing who each other was. Over time though, things began to grow. And so you hire maybe a education minister because now we've got some kids here that we need to start getting them to learn some memory verses, do some practical steps in building their Bible knowledge. And so you you add something like that. Then you begin to look around and realize that the culture is having too much influence on your teens. So you hire a youth minister. And then you realize, wait, they're going off to college, and if you're in a college town, we need to have some kind of Christian worldview that's paralleling this college experience. We need a college minister. And I know I'm touching titles that (laughs) we've all held. (laughs) And, uh, And then, well, they got out of college, and they're 30 years old, still not married. They're feeling a little lonely, thinking there's no, no you know, circle f- for me to sort of run with. Let's get a singles minister. There's been family ministry. It just goes on and on and on. Small groups to me was there at the very beginning. It was the thing that happened when Jesus said, come follow me. And then he stopped at 12, as far as that official group that he called, because he wanted to work with a group where they could really get in each other's lives see each other in the good and the bad and wrestle with how do you live being a follower of god kingdom of god in in good times and bad and yeah he had the bigger circle of 72 that he could send out and you know, the larger crowds that would gather. But you always felt like those 12 were on the front row seats of the classroom. When he was talking, they were the pupils that were right there watching him. And not just what he was saying, but how was he doing this? How's he managing this crowd? How's he managing this conflict? And so I think when we go to small groups, we go back to the beginning. And that was one of the things I think that in trying to sell small groups, I kept thinking this should be easy. It should be saying to a family, all we're saying is, let's do a Thanksgiving dinner, you know. We've always done this. You you grew up knowing what it was, to hold a chicken leg or a turkey <laughs> leg in your hand and you know eat eat dressing and stuff. This shouldn't be complicated. The other type of ministries, you have to put together some some structure and imagine imagine some new possibilities for some new context. Small group existed under the nose of the Roman authorities. It existed under the nose of the, the Sadducees who would, and Pharisees that would persecute. It is uh, the organization that of the church that would have been just slaves and citizens who were getting off work on a Sunday, having communion, talking, getting to know each other. So to me, my, my basic feeling towards small groups is I shouldn't have to sell this. I shouldn't have to promote this because it's the most natural thing in the world. But because we got so into a system that was maybe like our educational system, um, that the the tendency is it falls into a lecture format and, and never goes beyond that. So, and especially when you're in a college town and a lot of your small group leaders are college professors, They talk for 50 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes. And it's, you know, you say, no, 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 you got five. (laughs) I'll give you 10 minutes. And they're like, you're crazy. You know, that's what that's taking role in class. Um, But uh, trying to get them to think in terms of this is an event that's getting to know each other while we're learning the text. And it's not good enough just to get good at the text. Uh, We need each other. We need relationships that we can call on each other in tough times and be able to feel like, I trust you. I know you. Trust is, uh, you can extend love instantly. Trust has to be earned. In small groups, you can earn trust when you're wrestling and struggling, throwing out an idea, it doesn't work, and you learn, I can trust these people. They, They actually are willing to go with me on this and still be my friends as, as silly as my ideas are maybe sometimes. And um, I think it's it becomes a glue that allows everything else that we do at church to to go mm-hmm. smoothly.
1: I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember an illustration that was used by Willard Tate um, many years ago in a book entitled Learning to Love. You may have read it. Um, but... <laughs> He talked about watching a documentary on TV about little chicks that had been hatched and were being sized and sorted to be sent out to the chicken farms where they would be raised. And uh, they they were coming down this conveyor belt, this mass of chicks, and they were being graded according to size and color. And those that didn't measure up were actually carried off the end of a conveyor belt into a crusher where they were just crushed. And he said that in the scene that he was watching, one of these chicks had not been chosen by any of the uh, selectors, you know. And it got to the end of the conveyor belt and it turned around and started running back. And it was running from person to person, like, would you accept me, would you take me, would you take me, until finally, the conveyor belt just overtook its little legs and it was carried off into the crusher. but. To me, the the, the beauty of, of a small group, we have people that come into our congregations that are a lot like the little chick, and they are looking for acceptance. They're looking for someone who will befriend them, someone with whom they can develop a meaningful relationship. And so often they run from person to person perhaps, or maybe they don't know who to run to. But the small group gives people an opportunity to find their importance and their significance, I think.
2: Yeah, that is a good, that's a good point. The, uh, there is a question when a church talks about, we do small groups, is are you a church of small groups or are you a church that does small groups? Mm-hmm. Are you a small group church or do you are a church that does small groups? And if you already have, uh, you're organized and you're doing, you're doing church for some time and then you choose to do small groups, you'll forever be a church that does small groups, most likely. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's what we are. Um, but when people start churches with small groups, and small groups are the core on which everything is built, then they become a church of small groups. It's, I think it, there's a lot to be said for that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've typically allowed Sunday school to be the place where you catch people the safety net of... They've not been here for two weeks. Has anybody seen them? Um, We've tried to do it in auditorium. I've seen some of that where you try to take the attendance cards and sort through and figure out who wasn't there and stuff. But that can be very tedious and oftentimes you miss somebody. But if we ever had it where the small groups could account for most of the folks in the congregation, the ability to catch those chicks before they go getting ripped off the belt and... Going into the crusher, I think uh, there would be a really high success rate for holding on to people, catching them in their yeah. in their moment of trouble.
3: So, yeah, are ahead. are people assigned? I mean, is the best is the best practices for a church that uh, is going to do small groups? <laughs> you know, for a church that's existing, yeah. uh, as far as getting people involved in it, uh, would the best practices be to? assign everybody to a group uh, to make sure that everybody kind of you know has some form of accountability or do you just let these form organically and just encourage everybody to you know get involved in one yeah
2: Uh, because if you assign that would help the person who shows up and doesn't necessarily have a friend group already in place Uh, there's something to be said for that Um, on the other hand if you tell people what small group to go to They'll go to their group that they want to go to. Uh, There's a few few people that are, you know, duty before dishonor, but most people are like, nah, I'll go with my friends. And this brings up an interesting point. What happens when you've gotten to know your group really well and it's time for you to sort of expand your friend group, would it not be the perfect thing to think, let's do a fruit basket turnover, let's shuffle it all up, And you get to know some more people next year, and then the next year, and maybe in about six, seven years, you'll feel pretty comfortable having a conversation with most of the folks at church. Uh, You figure it out, and you tell me how, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I have tried, and I've tried. Um, Another thing about small groups, and and part of it is because your success becomes your, your Achilles heel, you get really connected to a small group. And especially if you're not a a real extroverted kind of person, you're going to say, this is my group. I don't don't want to leave my group. And with small groups, the theory is that the 22 at Cloverdale, once they've expanded, oh, here's a funny thing. We call them small groups we have small groups that are bigger than a lot of churches in other states on Sunday morning. Uh, So there's not really a cap. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had 70 in a small group. It's like, by definition, you can no longer be in my small group ministry. You know, you're you're starting a large group ministry. (laughs) You're a congregation all yourself. So, so ideally those 22 should maybe split in half and have 44 now. And wow, what a what a benefit you could do! But uh, you can try different language, like, well, we're not splitting; we're multiplying. We are spinning off new groups. But I have been in groups and people crying, and you you know, you try to pass a hat around and pull names out to see who gets, <laughs> oh, who gets caught in the draft. Short <laughs> lines, <Yeah>. eh? <laughs> I, I've seen it where you say, let's divide up town. Y'all, you know, th- this group, y'all are from the east side and you're from the west side. So let's let's go our separate ways. And uh, and then the ladies go into the kitchen and the men stand there going, "We did it, man! We are the dudes." And the ladies are in there saying, "Those guys are crazy!" And uh, this will never, this will never stand.
1: So that is another podcast on the subject of church trauma.
0: So we are not that podcast. So
2: so
1: trying to be
2: trying trying to figure out what the ideal is and what uh, what actually can work oftentimes just falls out to uh, you if you can get so, a few courageous folks who wanna step out and start a new group, that's great. Last year, we had four folks that were, I was really proud of them. They stepped up and said, we love our groups, but we're gonna start four new ones. We just need four more. And they did, and uh, sure enough, people came, it formed up, but it takes some real courage and real guts to do that.
0: So correct me if I'm wrong, Carl, but give me your thoughts on this idea. The bigger a church gets, the more important it is to be intentional about making it smaller, yes. about about dividing, you know, not dividing, but giving opportunity for people to to come into a small setting. Because there's something that can be deeply intimidating about, say, a four or five hundred member church. Walking in there, you're like, I don't know anybody. But the small group is immediately, uh, if you can, if you know one person there, that small group is immediately a way to kind of get a base of people that you know. And yet, the bigger that it gets, the harder it is for us to do small groups. The more we resist wanting to change that, because if, especially if you grew up from a, uh, a smaller church perspective, it's like, well, th- this is what we do. We all come together. Like, we don't want to lose anybody. But really, we are losing people when we don't take the time to, to do that well and to kind of divide up. I know that we came, Jesse and I came into, uh, we were at Cloverdale for uh, several years back when i was an intern there and we didn't really know anybody other than the teen parents so we we had some connections with the teen parents but you know they they weren't our age they weren't like our our peers they were just people that we were familiar with and knew well and then we got invited to a small group and that's when cloverdale was not it, it kind of became not just a church and not just a place that we went to but it, it really felt like family that was the change that happened after we joined that small group and i'll never forget that moment of having a place every Sunday night to go to that was smaller that I could meet guys my age and talk about scripture and grow and learn and feel like, Hey, if something's wrong, I know who to go to. I know where, what, what to do about that.
2: Yeah. The, uh, you were making me think of my sermon when last fall because of COVID, I said this fall think small. And, and it was partly because with COVID big crowds were no longer an option, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe we'll have some other stuff that, will will prevent us from having the big group but nothing can stop you from having just a few folks get together for a bible study right. you can do that anywhere and so yeah there's there's a uh, there's a quality of well uh just being able to to talk about discipleship type issues things that are serious things that are convicting things that are uh that, they give you strength to be able to face what you're dealing with and uh nothing. I don't think anything uh, is as much benefit as small groups were and and are.
3: You mentioned uh, in the beginning anyway the need to have kind of universal study material for each of the small groups. Uh, from the sounds of it, it's not necessarily that, that way now. Right. Um, so what was the, I guess, intention of doing that originally and how did that kind of evolve to it being okay, I guess, for each group to yeah. do their own thing?
2: Um, wh- one of the challenges, I'll say, uh, initially was elders wanting small groups but not necessarily wanting to go be in the small groups. But they knew it was something that a lot of folks had talked about. This looked like it would help. So uh, in both churches where I was at, the majority of the elders would stay at the building with that small group. We, like I say, we didn't call them that to their face, but that was the small, <laughs> small group at the building. And then there's the other groups. And um, that just sort of increases the sense of um, what's going on out there and we, we need reports. We need to know there's some degree of health and soundness in what's going on lest we find ourselves in a situation where we've got somebody teaching some stuff that's not healthy, right. you know so I respect that uh, I respect sure. what the elders are wrestling with you know mm-hmm. the, you're trying to give freedom just like a parent. you want to give freedom to your child at the same time you don't want them jumping in the car with some rough crowd going to rough places you you want to you want to figure out how to how to do that. The only thing that seems to solve that is uh time and some of those elders deciding to go visit the small groups. And together, it takes a long time, takes many years. Uh, there begins to be this sense of confidence in the teachers themselves, teachers in the material, and as the person who was, has been that point person, oftentimes, me talking to each of those small groups and figuring out what they're doing, and being able to report anytime I'm asked, you know, individually, more oftentimes, what's going on in that group? Oh, they're studying this material. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I did after a while, uh, once we were told we could expand our offerings and allow different groups to do different things, I built a library. And I started out with books, uh, stuff that everybody feels pretty Safe with, but also challenging, like maybe some C.S. Lewis stuff, or if it's Christian evidences, maybe um, some material that folks would know of. And then uh, over time, I began to get VHS tapes, and yeah, and then we stepped it up to DVDs. <laughs> oh and, and man, the small groups went to a whole new whole new level at that point. But there was a sense in which our our folks just didn't know what was out there. Uh, I don't know if you remember the days before the internet, but there was a thing called the CBD catalog. Christian yes, book distributors. Christian book distributors. <laughs> distributors. And, and we, uh, you know, the high priest, the preachers, uh, we we had CBD, and a lot of the other folks were like, "What? Where, where's the books at?" Um,
0: that's something different nowadays. CBD. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> You're right.
2: <laughs> so uh, I would I would flip through and and see what was out there and names that friends had recommended or I had seen at seminars or talking Mm -hmm. with the other preachers. And by building a library, that that gave a certain degree of confidence both in the teachers who would just walk in and say, and I would print out a a directory of all the possibilities. And sometimes they would just come through and look through the shelves. And it was just for small groups, small group library. And that worked really well. And the elders, if they were wondering, could come and look and sort of see what we had as well. Mm And That's that built, built trust and confidence, mm-hmm. and uh, conversations would come out of that. So now it seems as though we're moving to one more level. And that is with things like Right Now Media, you have a whole platform of a bazillion Christian videos that are out there and trying to figure out exactly how to sort of coach and help. Uh, one of the nice things that Right Now Media lets us do is our own Cloverdale page and we can populate it with stuff that we like so in a sense you build you have the capacity to build your own library and then uh, you could even upload some of your own videos and say here's a Casey McDonald you know dealing with you know politics and and the present (laughs) crisis you know and uh, you can do that and your folks can be at home pull it up everybody watch the video and uh, have a conversation so I'm kind of excited and a little bit nervous about this, the, the new explosion of uh, opportunities and stuff in, in videos.
1: Carl, I'm wondering, um, what, what are some of the um, obstacles that you have encountered, first of all, in uh, forming a small group uh, program or ministry, if you want to call it ministry or program, and secondly, what are some of the obstacles that you face in maintaining it and keeping it fresh?
2: Um, there, is, there are two philosophies on the length of time that a small group should be. There is a theory, this is mine, I'm on this side, uh, that says people's time is valuable. It's Sunday night. Tomorrow is Monday morning, school, work, all that. And so you recognize an hour and they're out make sure they know that they can be out in an hour and so that's what i preach although not all of my small group leaders recognize me as the canon you know and so uh there is this other philosophy and i respect it though it's not mine uh, that says small group is a place you just need to take your time and you need to Really just visit as long as you, you can and let people, you know, stay. And in fact, it's even better if you eat. Now, I didn't run into this as much where I used to be, but boy, Cersei eating while you're doing small group, it's almost a law. And, <laughs> and, and I tell people, no, you know, because the, the poor folks that are putting on the food will just after a while just get exhausted. They'll say, we cook all Sunday afternoon, we clean, or we part uh, part of the family's cleaning, parts cooking. Then we have to clean up after everybody's left. We are bailing out of small groups. We're quitting. And I'll say, no, just don't feed them. And they'll say, no, we have to. And I'll say <laughs> <laughs> This <laughs> is a, the South. <laughs> yes. So there, there is there is a uh, the culture of hospitality that sometimes shipwrecks small groups because it demands too much of the people whose house it's in, where if, you know, if you're going to church, the custodian will show up on Monday and take care of, you know, cleaning up and everybody can go home. But it is a, it is a very physically demanding, and sometimes financially.
1: Very good point.
2: So I don't say one's right or wrong, but I do, I do preach my gospel and I, uh, I I let the other folks, you know, if they want to do it, that's fine. Another problem is uh, burnout due to, just as time goes on and i tell them take the summer off and oftentimes they they refuse and then after sometime in during the next year they'll burn out and quit so trying to get folks to have realistic expectations of what they can do um and realizing people will use you up some people if, there, if, if you don't set some boundaries. And so I tried to, as the small group, I set some social boundaries to protect my, my, my valuable assets of host, hostess, mm-hmm. teacher. I want those people to uh, stay energized, committed, and feel like they're also having their needs met of, uh, of a reasonable expectation and their commitment to this. So that's, that's one of the biggest battles I fight.
3: Are the groups recurring year after year or are they kind of developed afresh each year?
2: Uh, there is a certain group that will come back each year. Uh, they don't necessarily forever and always, but you do have some, some people that hit a stride and they've got a, a small group. And so the individuals that come into that group and change over, but that group uh, stays on and on. It's, um, and it, that's, that's an interesting question because your teachers, there's some people that know how to, to teach small group style, ask questions and listen and engage. Um, and then there's those that just teach all the time. And the teaching doesn't get the job done nearly so well. Mm-hmm but it doesn't mean that they won't sometimes outlive the others.
0: I'm curious about something. You guys do your small groups on Sunday nights. Is there any logic to doing it on Sunday versus Wednesday? Or was that just what made the most sense to you guys? Or is there something that kind of universally, why that night makes more sense or less sense than Wednesday if somebody does it differently? Yeah.
2: Hmm, at risk of uh, showing our cards too much, it seems that uh, Sunday night oftentimes just doesn't have the energy that Sunday morning has. Um, when you're preaching Sunday night, you can feel it. When you're leading singing, uh, you just feel it. And so I think Sunday night was the obvious space for something needs to be done. What is that? Um, how, how can we step in and, and uh, provide something more meaningful? Wednesday night, I've never... Been at a church that it wasn't hopping and jumping and kids were loving it and i will say that i was at a a a church where we were building a new church building and so we sold our building and for a year we were we were uh transients between two places the new building's not built yet the old one's not there so the local school let us come over on sunday mornings but we didn't have sunday night and we didn't have wednesday night and people would regularly tell me how they grieved over the loss of Wednesday night i never had anybody ever ask me
3: <laughs>
2: could you figure a way for us to do you know now we had some small groups going on but as far as get back to the building do this thing that we've always done at the building and and i don't think it was my bad preaching okay i think <laughs> I, I feel like there's a sense in which Sunday is so exciting and fulfilling in the morning. You come together and if you stand around and talk and visit later and then you eat with friends, especially if you have them over the house or you go to their house, or maybe you just hang out at the restaurant for a long time, you run home and you're tired and Sunday night is not something that you wake up and say, hey, we got to get back up there. You know i'm hungry it's like no i'm i've been fed i've been fed to overflowing i have more thoughts in my head mm-hmm. after the experiences of this morning and this this uh table fellowship with friends than i could possibly process for the next two or three days so um i think that's the reason Sunday nights and that's just being very frank I know no that, that's great it probably great. sounds almost rude but it's a. Being a preacher, I feel like I can say that about my own preaching. No, if we can't be honest (laughs) at the church, where can we be honest? There's, there's a, I think Wednesdays don't need help. I think Wednesdays are, there's a lot of people that give a lot. Kids are ready. People have been beat up by life and they're looking for that engagement at church. But Sunday night, you're coming right off of, you know, a buffet. And it's kind of like eating, back to the Thanksgiving analogy. What do you need to eat that night, you know? Turkey? Dressing again? You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm stuffed. It's good stuff, Mom, really. Uh, no offense, <laughs> Grandma. But uh, so I think, I think small groups allow us a chance to kind of, in a more relaxed sense, do some processing together. Uh, and I like to think that they're saying in these small groups... You know, Carl in his sermon this Sunday said something that was real yesterday's or this morning. He said something that was really valuable. Let's talk about that. I don't know if it actually happens, but I'd like to
0: think it does. I was actually kind of curious about that and about to ask, do you ever try to do something like that where you maybe if you ever did or or have recently? Do you ever do something where you, you try to encourage small groups? You know, they're happening that night you're preaching, you're, you're going through something, and you say, hey, like, I would love for you guys to discuss this further tonight where you make a connection between those two.
2: Yes, and I, I have done that uh, years where whenever I'm making my sermon, when I finish it, I make up discussion questions, and I sort of steal from the serendipity-type Bible studies. I don't know if you've ever used those where it's icebreaker, dig, dig deeper, reflect, And uh, I write my own questions out of the Sunday morning sermon. And yeah, I I feel like when I've listened to a sermon, I'm ready to talk with some other people about what I've heard,
1: but we never give that outlet. So I think that's a very valid uh, comment uh, so often. Uh, You know, one of the ways you internalize a message is by talking about it. And we really do not give people an opportunity to respond to talk. One on one about what they have heard. And as a result, uh, you know, uh, somebody said if you want to humble a preacher, just uh, have him ask people what he spoke about last Sunday. Yeah. You know, a lot of people won't remember, but when you've had the opportunity to follow up in a smaller setting and to discuss that, it really does help to internalize the message and to uh, flesh things out somewhat. Mm-hmm.
3: What correlation have you seen with small groups and church growth and or evangelistic efforts?
2: Um, Evangelistic efforts, I feel like it's an entry point in theory. And I think it does serve that way if you have some people in the small group that are reaching out to friends. Um, It won't just happen. And there's some groups that don't necessarily go looking for folks on the outside. And and one thing that makes it challenging is if it's a person who's coming in and they're not they've not been exposed to scripture before and you're trying to have a, a basic principles kind of conversation then that can be kind of awkward if maybe you invite somebody new in two weeks and then this person's ready to move to another place and you know, it's kind of like you're you're forever trying to kick off a class, but never able to get it finished. And so, um, and people can feel intimidated if they're the only person that hadn't had the class. Everybody else is a repeat. Um, so it, it's challenging, but there's people that um, that have been able to do that successfully. And uh, then the, let's see, oh, and as far as growth, one thing we did notice was our Sunday night attendance as, as we tracked it, As it would drop down to where your half of your people that were there on Sunday morning have come back Mm -hmm. for Sunday night and then sometimes it drops to a third of that number. Mm -hmm. Um, Most everybody feels that same kind of effect. When we did small groups we found that we bounced way back up. There there is a much more um, greater interest in folks saying oh okay that would be something that could be meaningful to me and my kids and um, that that could be an opportunity that's more relaxed, more uh, give and take, rather than sitting and listening. I don't know about you, uh, Steve, but a lot of times my Sunday night sermons had to run longer than the Sunday morning just because the hour was—you didn't have as much going on. The communion yes. didn't take as much time. The song leader is singing with people that are tired, and so they don't—they don't lead as many and. And so you uh you're like, okay, then the sermon's gonna need to go from twenty-five minutes to thirty-five minutes and it everything kind of becomes sort of a self-defeating
1: <laughs> kind of. Well you know, far, it's something people energy. people are not aware of um, many times, uh of what's going on in a speaker's mind and also uh physiologically when you are gearing up for a large assembly of people on sunday morning your body begins producing adrenaline and uh, all of us and all the four of us here have spoken on occasions and you know on, for me it starts on saturday saturday is like winding up a spring for me and by the time saturday night is here i i mean i'm wound up and don't often don't sleep well i get up Crack of dawn Sunday morning, my body is like a spring that is wound up. And, I, and when you get up on Sunday morning and you expend that energy, it is like letting a spring just completely explode. And your body is just zapped mind, body, everything. And it is very difficult from a speaker's standpoint to re repeat that process for Sunday night. Now, that, that is just the long and the short of it. You, you may be well prepared. You may have your sermon well prepared. I try to do my Sunday night presentations before I do my Sunday morning. So I'm, I'm not caught at the last minute. But I'm just saying it it is difficult from a speaker standpoint to generate the same level of enthusiasm on a sunday night that you do on the sunday morning and it's not because it's not good material or anything else a lot of it is physiological in nature
0: and just to clarify something you said just a second ago carl you said your attendance went up you mean when you're counting all of your small groups as a part of your sunday correct, evening crowd. Correct. so you're, yes you're seeing this growth and and maybe that's something that initially churches struggle with when they're thinking about a small group system is well, this seems like we're going to have less people here, not more. But when you consider that means that someone's coming back to be fed in a different way, they're being counted as a part of what we're doing. And so it would, would it be better for them to try to come back on a Sunday night for the normal service or, you know, what, if they decide, I don't want to do that, uh, but I'll come to a small group, you know, you're, you're getting, you're getting a second chance to sort of do something valuable uh, with that member, where you might not get them at all. So if you start counting everybody together, you're not losing people, you're gaining people. Right, right. So yeah, two, 250 at the building, uh, then
2: you leave 50 and 200 go out, but they pick up another 100 that just wasn't engaged at all on Sunday night. So it, it is pretty exciting to think all those folks that, you could call them friends, you could call them just uh, checked out for, you know, other reasons, reengaged, reconnected, a part of something that's pretty yeah. exciting. So,
1: what about your group uh, that meets at the building, Carl? what What do they do? Are they more of a traditional service, or is it a Bible class, Bible study? You know, you you mentioned a moment ago the the small group that yeah. meets <laughs> that, that that really doesn't want to be known as a small group. But but what about what about those folks?
2: Uh, they kept. Somewhat traditional for a while, but over time, uh, most partly because of the speakers that would be brought in, that um, if if I wasn't preaching there and we were bringing in some other folks, uh, members that are also Bible faculty at Harding, that kind of thing, they would say, could I do this more as a class? Would that be okay? And uh, gradually sort of won them over to this idea of turning it into really more of like a Sunday what you'd call Sunday morning Bible class, auditorium Bible class, uh, still still doing the singing, so it's a hybrid. It feels sure. kind of like a typical Sunday night, but it also has a little more of give and take because you just, there's a lot of benefit when you can ask a question and people are, are feeling like they're a part of what's happening.
0: Well, Carl, I mean, th- this has been a fantastic conversation about small groups. I think we learned... Quite a bit more than we thought we would, too. So we're, we're excited. We're th- so thankful that you came on the show today. Uh, really glad that you're a part of this. If you guys out there have any questions for Carl or questions for us, you can always send those questions over to us. Uh, questions at WSChurch.net. Just send us an email and uh, and we'll relay those to Carl or we can uh, we can answer those on another show. Can I mention one Add, last yeah, thing? Yes, go for it. Uh, the Cloverdale
2: exists because of Westside. I don't know if y'all know that, but there was a Cloverdale in a good, zone. W- in a
1: good way or a bad <laughs> way. I,
2: <laughs> you gave birth to us. Uh, the, uh, the, You remember the old days of zones? Did y'all, yes. did y'all have yeah, zones? zones? Yes, we okay. did. We and did, it, up it,
1: until just a few years ago. Yeah,
2: we defined our church family by geographic locations about town, and that was the zones. Well, there was a west side Church Christ zone called the Cloverdale zone, and... Um, the Rogers and the Whites and the Pierce's were sitting in that zone meeting, and they said there should be a church over here on this side of town. Well, in a sense, they were a, a subset of you know West Side, but they, uh, in their model of how they understood best to carry that out, they came to the West Side elders and said, "What do you think?" And they said, "That sounds good." And they even felt the obligation to go and talk to the downtown and college church, elders, and said, there's no hard feelings here, but we've begun to define ourselves as being able to have a ministry on the east side of town at Cloverdale in that area around there. And we would just love to have everybody's, you know, prayers and support. And so it got kicked off. And on July the 4th, 1976, <laughs> very patriotic sort of a day. The, 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 what the Westsiders, Started that, and and I would say they started it out of a small group, though they didn't know to call it that. They right. just called it the
1: Cloverdale right. Zone. Well, you know, I came to Searcy in the fall of '77, so I knew that Cloverdale was a fairly new congregation, but I I didn't know some of those details. And it's interesting because Westside, in a similar way, came from the College Church back in uh, 1959 when a group of people from college church, completely agreeable with the college elders, they simply said, you know, there needs to be a congregation over on the what was then the <laughs> west side of town. We're, we're not now very we're west side anymore now. But, but anyway, and, and so it's interesting now to, to learn the rest of that story. Those small groups, church, yeah. planning.
0: There church planning. There you go. Well, we're so glad that you guys have joined us today, and uh, we hope that y'all have a fantastic evening.